All right, Christ community, we'll be in Proverbs 1, 8 through 19 this morning. So if you would go ahead and be turning there in your Bibles, just want to share with you what the key truth will be this morning as we uh, hear that, the, that there is wisdom in the company that we keep. The key truth is this, God's wisdom begins at home, increases in wise community, and is affected by the company we keep in both the now and the not yet. Let me say that again. God's wisdom begins at home, increases in wise community, and is affected by the company we keep, and that affects us in both the now and the not yet. And so uh, as we step into this text, if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Proverbs 1, 8 through 19. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like shale, let us swallow them alive. And whole, like those who go down to the pit, we shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, as we step into this text, it's, it's important that we see straight away from the preamble that we, we had uh, that, that made sure to let us know what the purpose of the book of Proverbs is, which is to gain wisdom, to, to grow, to be formed in character, to be righteous, just, and equitable. And this, this is founded in the fear of the Lord. Solomon straight away tells us that, that probably the key place, one of the most important places for us to gain and grow in our fear of the Lord and wisdom is in our very own homes. Now, that presupposes that the, the, the parents fear the Lord and that they pursue wisdom and that they are teachers who also continue as students or disciples who make disciples who continue as disciples. And so we have to recognize that this is, this is not a, a prescription in the sense that it doesn't matter the character of the parents. No, it, again, it presupposes the character of both parents, that they will train the children the admonition of the Lord, where that is not the case this can't happen in the same way or doesn't happen in the same way. And so it makes it much more difficult. And so straight away Solomon is telling us that godly wisdom begins at home and increases in biblically wise community. And so what I want to ask us before we, we get fully into the text is what impact have groups had on the decisions you've made in the past? <laughs> Think about the statements that we have. When in Rome, what happens in name the town stays in that town. Uh, think about how we, we have all gotten caught up and swept up in the, the fury of the moment, not even knowing what it was, but just because the emotion was so intense. I, I remember um, as, as a teenager, I was not a believer at the time, but I got involved with a group of other teenagers who were believers that, I, I, that really reached out to me and cared for me and that I really liked. And I remember going to a, a concert at Six Flags, and the concert was a guy named Carmen, and it was his shout at the devil tour is beat up the devil tour. I don't remember which one it was. And I remember getting swept up in the emotion of the moment only to realize what in the world am I doing? This is terrible. Uh, this is bad art all the way around. And yet 
I, who was a radical anti-theist because of the love of these people around me, I got swept up in the emotion of the moment. Now, there's other times that it's been far more dangerous than enjoying a Carmen concert. Uh, other times I've been swept away in sin because the people involved uh, were, were, were adamant and passionate and had welcomed me in. And I wasn't thinking critically because I was just happy to be accepted. And so often that's what gets us in trouble. Instead of us critically assessing the company that we keep, we instead are just happy to be accepted. We're just happy to have a group of people who agree with the things that we think and believe. We're just happy to have some folks to hang out with. And those aren't bad things in and of themselves. There is a joy to being accepted, which is why the gospel is so powerful and the church ought to be a great place of welcoming and hospitality. There's a great joy to being in agreement. We see that in Scripture itself. It says that that, uh, there's a psalm that talks about how how wonderful it is for, for brothers and sisters to dwell in unity. It's kind of like oil running down upon Aaron's beard. Uh, and so we, those things are natural and they're good, but they're dangerous when not assessed against the fear of the Lord and critically in wisdom. And so we've all had experiences where we made decisions that <clears throat> we regret or would like to not make because of the crowd that we were in. And so let's step back to the text and, and look more at how it begins at home and how that then should affect how we live in the world. And so do note that the teacher here calls for the student. He says, hear my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. And so what we see is this is a third party. This is someone wise in the community that is speaking into the student's life. Now, you may say, well, is it only for sons? Is it only for boys? Well, no, it's not. And the reason that we know that it's not is because mothers are mentioned, which is absolutely unique to the ancient Near Eastern wisdom literature. You won't find this in Babylonian wisdom literature. You won't find this in Egyptian wisdom literature. And so in order for the mother to be able to speak wisdom into her child's life, she has had to somewhere along the way be given wisdom, be trained in wisdom. And so we also see at the end of the book, there's an acrostic poem uh, from uh, it's, uh, chapter 31, 10 through 31, that is uh, often referred to as the virtuous woman or the virtuous wife. What's well, a description of uh, a, a woman actually living out and being uh, righteous, just, and equitable, as was called for all throughout the book of Proverbs. And so, for the virtuous woman to do that, she would have had to have been trained, taught. Right? So why the term son here? Well, well, frequently in Scripture, son is used and should not be sons and daughters in this case because it's a very specific technical term uh, related to being an heir. Someone who's being entrusted with as the firstborn son, uh, as would have been in their culture, that's being entrusted with uh, the fullness of the wealth, the fullness of the security, the fullness of the provision for the family. They would be responsible for carrying on the family name and ensuring that the present generation and generations to come would have what they need. So it was a great responsibility to be in this position. And so the book of Proverbs is essentially saying with that term, something very valuable is being entrusted to you as student. So whether a son or a daughter in, in, in terms of who we are individually, the point is we have to recognize we are being entrusted with something not only that is for our good, but is for the life of the world and for the coming generations. And so we must continue the fear of the Lord. We must continue uh, 
to be righteous, just and equitable as evidence of God's glory, as evidence of God's wisdom. And as we will come to see later on as evidence of us being formed into the very image of Christ himself. And so it's, it's critical that we see in this term what is being entrusted to us. We see in this term that we're being called to be heirs, which in the New Testament makes very clear is both husbands and wives, men and women, sons and daughters. And so he, he, the teacher, is calling for him to listen to his father's instruction. Remember that word instruction means correction. It's not that, and so we want to be careful that we don't uh, overly prescribe or overly pigeonhole. It's not that the father is the only one who corrects, but in this case, he's just showing that, it, that both parents work together to raise the child in the admonition of the Lord to grow in wisdom. And so here instruction is correction. And so we, as sons and daughters, if our fathers fear the Lord, we should receive from them uh, wise correction, that it's, it's loving. Think about that, that God disciplines those whom He loves. And so should our earthly fathers correct and discipline, but do so according to Scripture, which if you remember, Paul makes it very clear. Fathers, don't vex your children. And this is one of the places where we often run aground is, in correction, in instruction, um, in discipline, we can do so in such a way that vexes our children or causes them to feel separated from us. And so one of the goals of all correction, all instruction from either parent ought be restoration, bringing back to, restoring the child to, just like God does in and through Christ. And so the, the father, this isn't his only role, but this is a role of, of the father. And then notice it says, and forsake not the mother's teaching, which indicates that the, the mother has much to offer. The, the, the mother has wisdom to pass on, that both parents play a role. And we know this from sociology, psychology, from, from the Bible itself, that a home that has both parents who are involved in the children's lives is, is especially if both parents fear the Lord, participate in the kingdom, use their gifts and abilities, show the fruit of the Spirit, that is an amazing gift to the children. And may we be that. May we seek to be that and long to be that for the sake of our children because we know, I know from just pastoral ministry, that most of the things that people carry, a good portion of the devastation that is in their souls and hearts come from what happened at home an identity that was formed, or better said, deformed. A circumstance that, uh, circumstances that instead of giving them wisdom, gave them shame and guilt. And so we parents must be so careful with what the Lord has entrusted to us, what the Lord has given to us to steward, so that our children can grow in wisdom. And as it says later in Proverbs, so that when we show them the way, they'll know the way back. Train them up in the way that they should go and they'll stick with it, right? And so, it's, again, that's not a 100% guarantee, but that, that is the way. If it is going to happen, that is the way. And so we see the great burden that is on parents to, to seek wisdom themselves. Remember, the experienced must continue to seek wisdom, must continue to be students. And so as we are raising our children, we must remember that we're not, our goal is not to have a really obedient 10-year-old or a really sweet, uh, law-abiding 12-year-old. We are trying to raise sons and daughters who fear the Lord and who walk in this world righteous, just, and equitable. 
And so that take, that take, that's a lifetime project. So we're investing not just in the moments. We've got to think big picture as well. And so this, the book of Proverbs is actually help, very helpful to us as parents. And so please, uh, please as, as we go through this, grow in wisdom as a parent for the life of your children, which is your first mission field. And notice that it says uh, that, that if the, the student, if the son or daughter does this, uh, if their parents are wise and they fear the Lord and the son and daughter receives from their hand the good that is being offered to them, the, what's being entrusted to them to steward, then, then this will be a graceful garland for their head and a pendant for their neck. So it means that, that the child will be adorned beautifully with wisdom. And what the world really takes notice of is, is that. Not, not the quality of the clothes they wear over time, that fades. Not, not, not the, the style of their hair, that fades over time and changes. Not, not the other adornments. But when a child who is maturing is adorned with wisdom and insight and shows righteousness and justice and equitability, that is a beautiful thing, not just for the child, but for the life of the world. And so this should be our longing, that we would raise our sons and daughters uh, to, to, to fear the Lord, to walk in such a way that they genuinely love God and love their neighbor. And so we need to be equipping them with this. We need to be giving them good examples, not just in our own home, but in our community as well. And so this is an area that we can grow in, making sure that our sons and daughters see people doing good work in the name of the Lord, see people fighting for uh, righteousness in righteousness, fighting for justice, for the oppressed, for the poor, for those who don't have what they need for daily subsistence, being equitable in all of their interactions vocationally, financially, economically, governmentally, and otherwise. What a gift it would be if the prime examples that our sons and daughters had is they could always point to their church family beginning with their own home. So listen what David Hubbard says about this text. He says that both parents are mentioned that both parents are mentioned is a tribute to the prominent role of Israel's mothers. We find no similar reference to mother as teacher in Babylonian or Egyptian wisdom literature. This call to attention, the, the fact that, that the, the teacher is saying to the student, you need to pay attention to your parents, you need to hear and not forsake, this call to attention is a form well known to many of the psalmists and prophets as well as the wise. Here it may form a bridge between what the pupil had learned at home, which they were not to forsake or abandon, and what they were about to learn more formally from the teachers who were preparing them for their role as leaders in the land. And let me say something about that. I think we've got some baggage with the word leader at times. We think it means that you've got to be out in front, or you've got to be loud, or you've got to have a plan, or you've got to do all these things. No, if you have been entrusted as, as we saw from uh, the, the parable of the ten miners, if you've been entrusted with the gospel, you, you are a leader because you are going to be a disciple who makes disciples, which means you're going to lead other people in some form or fashion, either with your witness, maybe less with your words, more with your deeds, or you will be somebody who is out front and even more so uh, the carefulness and humility necessary to be wise in so doing. And so do recognize with what we've been entrusted, if we are ambassadors of reconciliation, which if you're a Christian, you are. You're a leader. And that doesn't, again, that doesn't mean that you have a bunch of people behind you. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to be out front and forward and loud or, or 
uh, extroverted as it were, um, but you are called to lead other people in and through how you live your life, how you practice wisdom, how you fear the Lord. So I love that he makes that connection. So here's my question, um, and it's, it can be a tough one for, for some of us. I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and so I, I did not have parents who feared the Lord or really pursued wisdom that was good. In fact, some of what my parents did looked more like the sinners that are going to come in the next portion. But, but we have to wrestle with this because it has shaped us and affected us. Uh, but how did the home you grew up in affect your fear of the Lord? and equip you to live wisely. Like I said, for some of us, the answer is not good. But the beautiful thing is that's not the end of the story. Bad parents don't keep us from God. Sinful parents don't keep us from Jesus. Jesus can overcome those things too and bring us all the way home. And praise be to God, that is true. But it is worth us noting how we've been affected by what we learned at home about the fear of the Lord and whether or not that's truly biblical and wise, it is our responsibility as adult children to uh, measure what we've learned against the Scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit. And then how did this impact where you turn for wisdom outside of your home? Did it make you rebellious? Did it, did it cause you to, to, to chase down um, various ideologies and bad theologies, uh, looking for something, looking for acceptance, looking for God knows what? Or did it cause you to actually seek good things in good places? Did it equip you well? Praise God if that's true. And for those of us who are currently, who are currently parents, may that be the testimony of our children someday. And then what are the ways in which you are currently equipping those in your care to fear the Lord and live wisely? I have a word even for those of you who are not presently parents. There are those you've been, who've been entrusted to your spheres of influence. This is important too. Your home serves as a sacred canopy, whether you're married or not, whether you have children or not, because it is the place of hospitality. And I know it's a weird thing during this time, and so obviously that's changed for us a bit during the pandemic, but be creative. Seek opportunities to still invest in people. Use the technology at, at your disposal. But do recognize that every single one of us who's been entrusted with the gospel has a responsibility to help others grow in their fear of the Lord and what it means to live wisely, which ultimately is biblically and ultimately looks like Jesus. Let's turn back to the text and look at verses 10 through 19 and see the wisdom of the company you keep and how it affects your future. Notice he says, my son, if sinners entice you. Now it's important here to, to note that the Hebrew word here is, is not just someone who's casually made a few mistakes or um, uh, cusses when they drive or uh, sometimes eats too much. These are folks who've made it their lifestyle. They don't care anything about righteousness. They don't care anything about justice. And we're going to see, we're going to see that very clearly. And they don't care anything about equitability, ultimately. And so this is something they've taken on as identity and lifestyle. And so he says, when these folks entice you, don't consent. So that means you, you've got to understand their character. And it will be, and the, the important word here is entice. It's not going to be, uh, sometimes it's not always obvious. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a little blurry. It's a little gray. Uh, you, you maybe have a, a red flag in your head and you think, I don't know, this could, this could be a bad deal. Well, you, you need to take the time to figure it out before you go casting your lot in with a group of people who are going to lead you horrifically astray. 
And again, this example is not meant to be exhaustive. It's meant to be to stir our imagination. It's meant to actually help us think through what all kind of groups of folks might this mean. And really, again, the banks of the river are, if, they, if they're going to lead you away from the fear of the Lord and act unwisely, which means to act against righteousness, justice, and equitability, that's, it's a bad crowd uh, ultimately for you. And so, so as it goes on, he says, And if they say, Come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like shale, let us swallow them alive and whole like those who go down to the pit. We will find precious goods. We shall fill our, our houses with plunder. Let me pause there for a second. Notice that everything they're talking about doing is antithetical to everything the gospel's about. They are about death not life. They are about taking what is not theirs unjustly, not being generous. They are about uh, being destructive instead of building up and being repairers of the streets to dwell in. They are the opposite of Christ. They are the opposite of the things of God. And so they're calling for this student to be a witness to that. And not just a witness, but a participant. And so what they're doing is robbing people of life and what the Lord has provided, and they're robbing God of His glory as protector and provider. And so that is not something that we would want to cast our lot in with. And notice what they say here. They make a, a bold claim of equitability. They say, this verse 14, Throw in your lot among us, and we will have one purse. Now, any of you who do any reading of history uh, know that that doesn't happen. If they weren't equitable toward these other people, if there's no justice, as the saying goes, then there's no honor among thieves. And so sooner or later, it's going to turn, and they end up turning on each other, which we see all the time in this sort of gathering of folks who have no, no care for the fear of the Lord and have no care for living wisely, which means to love your neighbor, right? Remember, all those terms are relational. And the teacher goes on, he says, My son, do not walk in the way with them. And so there's, there's, remember what Jesus said, wide is the path to destruction, narrow the way to righteousness and salvation. And so there are really two ways before us, either the way that's going to lead us away from fear of the Lord, relationship with God in and through Christ, and be able to love our neighbors well, that's a, a selfish uh, individualistic, oftentimes destructive, it is a destructive way, or the way that we are called to in wisdom and the fear and admonition of the Lord provided by Christ so that we can live the abundant life. So he, he uses that term very specifically. And he says, hold back your foot from their paths for their feet run to evil and they make haste to shed blood. They long for it. It is, it is part and parcel of their desires, their twisted and broken hearts and minds. He says, for in vain a net is spread in the sight of any bird. So he's just giving, this is just common wisdom. If you're trying to catch a bird, you, you don't scare it off in the process of trying to catch it. Like if you're going to put the net out and make all kind of noise, the bird's going to fly off. Or if it's going to see the trap and not get caught in it. And this is what's interesting. You know, we, we talk about having bird brains. Well, birds are really intelligent, but they're not as smart as a human ought to be. And notice how these folks react. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush 
for their own lives. How foolish is that? That the things that they are doing are only going to lead them to destruction and death. This is one of the reasons why we read Psalm 73 for our call to worship this morning. We do struggle sometimes because it looks like the wicked prosper. But they don't. They actually don't. The things that, that, that they gather, the things that they get, the, the, the boasting and the arrogance will someday be silenced in judgment. Sometimes it occurs in this life and sometimes it occurs when Christ returns. Either way, they will be sorrowful for what they've done. They will recognize how foolish and ignorant was, was, were their choices. And so the, the teacher is trying to make it very clear, this way leads to death and only a fool would pursue it because you will pay with your own life. And he finishes up, he says, such are the ways are everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. And that is a truity that we've seen time and time and time and time again. Money doesn't solve all the problems. Uh, unjust gain certainly is, is not something that you can be comfortable in and enjoy. There is no safety and security in that. In fact, you're always looking over your shoulder, wondering and not being able to trust anyone else because the thief knows you can't trust other thieves. And so this is a lifestyle that leads to anxiety and frustration and fear and, and loss of all of the good that God is offering to his people in redemption in Christ. And so it's obvious we should avoid this kind of company. But is it always this obvious for us? And the challenge is that we would assess, again, using the banks of the river. It's not enough to say, hey, are you guys, uh, as we go out tonight, are we, are we, are we going to be shedding blood? Are we going to lay in wait for people like the grave? Are we going to rob people? You know, this isn't necessarily, it's not always as obvious as a clockwork orange. But, but it is important that we recognize that we use the banks of the river to assess the various groups that are having an impact on our lives that we are throwing our lot in with. Now, does this mean we can't spend time with sinners? Well, no, that wouldn't be anything like Jesus. But when we do spend time with sinners, it needs to be purposed and missional. It needs to be, you need to understand who and whose you are. You need to have limits. We need to be willing to flee from sin when it becomes obvious that's the direction in which it's going. And so this isn't, a, a, again, a zero sum to say stay away from those kind of people. What it's saying is do not be influenced by those kind of people. You are a leader, not a follower of those things. You are a follower of Christ and Christ alone. And so as we, uh, as we wrap up this text, I love the way Bruce Waltke puts it. It's so simple, but it is profound. He said, sinners love wealth and use people. Saints love people and use wealth to help others. Would that be us? That we would be the kind of people who with all that the Lord has entrusted to us, both, uh, both in terms of the spiritual gifts that He's given to us, the fruit of the Spirit, the gospel He's entrusted to us, the resources that we begin physically uh, in terms of our time and otherwise, that we would see those things as the capital with which we are to be generous to others because we love others first over all of those things, because we've been loved first by God in Christ and free to do this. And so instead of running around with people who are going after temporary things, 
instead of running around with people who don't fear the Lord and instead are, are calling for us to, uh, to act unwisely, to be unrighteous, to be unjust, to be inequitable, we should instead be influencers back the other way, calling for them instead, inviting them into our spaces, inviting them into the things that we are engaged in that are righteous, just, and equitable. So my question for us is, is not dissimilar. This is a kind of a ringing bell type question, and we ask, we're going to be asking it in different ways. We need to think it through. But what are the ways in which your thoughts and behaviors are being influenced by the various groups in your current spheres of influence? Last week, we talked about the things you're listening to, watching, uh, and reading, which those are groups of a sort. But, but what about the, the physical groups? What about in your spheres of influence, those you work with, family members, uh, do, do you look very different in different groups of people? Is it obvious to people that you fear the Lord and that you are righteous, just, and equitable? Or are you more of a chameleon? You, you, you take on their characteristics. Instead of being a leader, you're, you're a follower in these different circumstances. And so it's worth us noting how we're being influenced by the various groups that are around us. And then what are the ways in which you are influencing others to fear the Lord in Christ and live wisely, because this is the calling. You, you, those of you who are inexperienced, you're gaining experience to do that. For those of you who are experienced, you're, you're seeking to gain further wisdom and insight to do this. Again, to influence others, to the fear of the Lord, to live wisely for the life of the world. And so as we conclude the sermon this morning, Proverbs 1, 8 through 19 teaches us that God's wisdom begins at home and increases in wise community. And God's wisdom is affected by the company we keep that affects us both in the now and the not yet. That is really important for us to understand is that uh, these things have a supreme impact on what we can accomplish now. Uh, are we spending our time digging out from under consequences of of, of being in bad company? Are we maybe being led completely astray from the Lord, uh, not, not losing our salvation? That's not the suggestion, but for some, before they even become a Christian, much like when the seed falls on the hard path and Satan swoops in and snatches it up. Is that what's happening with some of these groups, with some of our, our children, with some of our friends and neighbors? And so what are we doing to, to be an influence to prevent that from happening? And so, as we add to what we learned from last week, as we recognize the necessity to grow in wisdom and be humble and willing to be instructed and corrected, and that we want to be shaped by our fear of the Lord and His provision of wisdom into, into righteous and just and equitable people, we also recognize how important the home is in that process, as well as the community that surrounds us and the company that we keep. So let us be people who are discerning. Help your children to grow in discernment. Help them to see that even when they make a mistake, the gospel calls them uh, to repentance and bear the fruits of repentance, that it's not, it's not the end, that while there's breath in their lungs, their single worst day will never have the final say. It's Christ who says who and whose we are. And, and so may we grow as a community of people helping each other to understand and live that out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you that you have provided for us who didn't grow up in homes that taught us to fear you or be wise, that you have still pursued us in Christ and provided us with many 
mothers and fathers in the faith, teachers along the way, you have been more than gracious. But I also want to thank you so much for those homes in which uh, our people, our sons and daughters were raised in the admonition of, uh, of you, in fear of you in, in the best way possible, that were granted wisdom, that were taught to be just and righteous and equitable for the life of the world. Thank you so much for those wonderful examples and places. Um, God, thank you that you, you have provided a remnant. You have made sure that the generations would not lose this great uh, deposit entrusted to them. May we recognize what has been entrusted to us and use it now and for the generations to come for the glory of the bride in eternity. God, would you help us be discerning of the various groups in which we're involved? Who's influencing whom and for what purpose? May you give us eyes to see and ears to hear where maybe there's some things that, that are, are damaging to us, that are leading us away from you, and instead reorient and figure out how can we influence instead back the other way, that we would be the disciple who makes disciples of those who are in our spheres of influence. May you bear much fruit in and through our time serving you uh, as you have called us as ambassadors of reconciliation. In Christ's name, amen.